This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by six amazing people. Allison Cook, Super Inframan, Bart Ooms, Billuminati, 36 Dingo, and Michael Fritzke. If you want to become a patron, www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And uh, I have uh, back with me after a few months here uh mr joshua cutchin uh welcome greetings it's good to be here for a change <laughs> and uh Louise hamill who is coming to us from the future because in in her world it's a day later than ours yes thanks for having me back soraya and uh nice to speak with you josh i'm really looking forward to this conversation Likewise. And the uh, the last time you were on, we were trying to figure it out, and you said you looked it up, and it was 2021. Yeah, quite some time. So, so yeah. And you've had a lot of interesting stuff happen in, in, in between the last time you were on and this time. I have. Um, the last eight months to a year, maybe longer, um, had some very strange poltergeist, maybe fey activity. Uh, and I reached out to you initially because I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. Yeah. Some of it was pretty freaky. So I thought I need I need some uh, some people who maybe have a bit of experience with some of these um, these happenings, you know, just to help me wrap my head around it, to be honest. And, and Josh, yeah. I think, might be better at that because of the context this stuff is happening in. Yes. So we shall we'll, see. We'll- yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah. I was speaking with my wife. We were just coming from a friend's house on the way over here, and I was saying, you know, there, there's probably a there's a good like twenty people I can think of off the top of my head who know more about fairies. So I will do my best with what I know. But do they also? Mm-hmm. But do they also play tuba? <laughs> you know, no. I the, the only other person that I found who is involved in this stuff and also plays tuba at some semi professional level um, is Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. What I, I understand is at one point was a relatively accomplished tuba, tuba player. So, yeah, I guess um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, being the, the world's, uh, well, <laughs> it's, it's a dubious honor. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Does that make him a tubist? Do you make vodka? Do you make vodka, Josh? Do I make vodka? No, I do not make yes. soul skull vodka or anything like that. So he's got me on that on that count. Yeah. I forgot Dan Aykroyd was interested in this stuff. Quite heavily. Yeah. yeah. You be, actually, you should get uh, Dan Aykroyd on Where Did the Road Go, Soraya. Oh, I'm sure that'll be easy. I'll just ring uh, him up. You know, stranger things have happened. Yeah. All right. Let's get to Louise's stuff. Now, Louise, do you want to give a little background to the stuff you came on for uh, before so people can catch up here? Okay. Uh, sure. Um, I'll try and keep it succinct because there's a lot there. Um, yeah. And people can go back and listen to the the original episode. But uh, just to put this stuff in context, I guess, is what I want to do. Sure. So I guess the the beginning would be when I was a baby, I had what logically you would call a near-death experience. So from what I have heard and read, a lot of people who've had near-death experiences tend to have this 
interesting relationship with psi and paranormal phenomena after that point. Um, for me, I was no older than a year and my mum had put me down uh, for us to sleep in my cot upstairs and she was downstairs doing the dishes in the kitchen and she looked out the window and I was sitting in the middle of the garden, not a scratch on me, but very <laughs> pale and shocked. And she told the story like it had it had occurred within you know, a minute or two as if, you know, I just appeared there. So that in itself is um, an interesting story. You know, was it Faye? Was it a teleporting instance? Uh, Who knows? I think logically she probably left the cot door open and I crawled out and I fell off the balcony, something like that. But either way, um, if it was something more bizarre or if it was, a near-death experience, you know, it, it primed me for a interesting uh, reality for sure. And throughout my life, I have had a lot of experiences with, um, gosh, um, more spiritual haunting experiences that were really quite scary. And I spoke to you about that, um, Soraya, right. in a lot of detail. Um, I saw a UFO in my mid-20s quite close up and that was a really amazing experience for me and uh, it really kind of changed the way I perceived things probably more than the other stuff that was more psi and spiritual related because those things I could kind of brush aside and rationalize in my brain Um, but when you see a physical object in the sky and it's over a period of, you know, a good minute. It's not something that you yeah. could dismiss. That really, um, it really changed things for me um, to kind of stop questioning what was happening. Um, but I have had experiences with nature spirits that were quite profound. Um, even as a child, I used to spend a lot of time in the garden. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but on reflection, I was I was probably meditating, mm. and I would um, talk to the garden in my mind. And I remember once this uh, this voice or this impression popped into my head and said, "If you go to over to the pot plant um, in this other part of the garden, you'll find a four leaf clover." And I went over to this pot plant and I found a four-leaf clover Mm. and it was, you know, the only four-leaf clover in this pot of flowers. And uh, another time I found a wooden ring on the step where I would sit and it was like a piece of um, a branch that looked like it had been cut off in a disc and hollow in the middle, which uh, I guess you could explain away. But for me, that really felt like a gift from the garden. So... Um, I have a history of being interested in believing in the consciousness of nature. Mm. So whether, you know, I'm more sensitive to these things in hotspots, my daughter, possibly she inherited that from me as well. And um, my husband, who has had some experiences in the house we're living in now, he has had some other weird stuff happen in his life as well. So if you want, we can talk a bit about that. Um, he saw the Min Min lights a few years ago. I'm not sure if either of you are familiar with that phenomenon. I've heard Absolutely. of them. I've heard of them. Tell, mm. pe- tell people what they are briefly. 
Um, so they're usually seen in very rural parts of Australia, so more desert areas um, that I know of anyway. And they are a ball of light uh, that seem to be sentient in some cases. They are f- kind of float around. They are usually seen by people driving in cars down long highways, kind of quieter roads. And uh, what happened was my husband for work was up north in Western Australia. If you look at Western Australia on the map, it is massive. So um, he was out in a very rural part, basically desert, um, driving around and it was sort of twilight becoming nighttime and he became aware that there was this ball of light behind him about 100 yards um, in the rearview mirror and he at first he thought it was a car so um, eventually he, he, he noticed that the ball of light was staying the same size, it was never getting closer um, and it was kind of higher off the ground then headlights would be, and it was a single sphere. It wasn't, you know, more lights that you would see, I guess, with a car. And this went on for, I think, about 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And any time he would stop the car and it just disappeared. It wasn't there anymore. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And so it never got any closer. And he said it was like the light was contained within the sphere. It wasn't reflecting or producing um you know a light in the regular sense yeah it was all within this um this ball of light and it was in an amber color um and then he got to where he needed to go i think eventually it just wasn't there anymore got to where he needed to go and wasn't until later that he started to think that was actually quite a strange thing and recently he looked up the distance he was driving on the map for where he had to go and the route that he was taking and how far he was how fast he was driving it would have should have taken less than an hour and he said it took him at least 2 hours so he possibly has missing time from that event as well you know a time distortion of some sorts yeah time time distortion yeah because huh. yeah, so it almost, almost sounds like like found time i don't know that, we don't really have a term <laughs> for that but he said it it took him longer than it. Wait, it took him longer than it should have. It it took him longer. Okay, so yeah, I guess that would be missing time. I guess shorter. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and earlier when I said you're you're in the future, uh, I failed to follow that up with you're in Australia, which is why you're in the future from us. <laughs> but I guess yes. people will have figured that out by now. That's right. They've they've figured it out. I think because mm. you're you're twelve hours ahead of us. We're doing this on a Thursday night. It's a Friday morning for you. Yep. Yeah, and a beautiful morning. Good. Yeah, so um, so there is a we both have a few um, me more than him um, have some kind of supernatural weird things that we've experienced and um, yeah, look the area we live in is interesting as well. So we live in I think it's okay to say we live in an area called Guildford in Perth and um, Guildford is a um, what's the word. It's a heritage protected area. So all the houses, most of the houses are around 100 years old Mm. at least. And um, most, if not all of the buildings are, again, at least 100 uh, years old. We have like the second oldest pub in Australia. 
which was built in 1840-something, which compared to other colonised countries, I mean, you guys, I think you have buildings from the 1700s. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Depending on where you are in in the US. Yeah. Um, So there is that kind of um, interesting aspect of possibly, you know, a few haunted buildings. Guildford also has two rivers on either side of it, so it's kind of um, between two bodies of water. And uh, we also live on a crossroads. (laughs) So part of the story um, is to do with Hecate. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so the crossroads thing, I feel, is is relevant. Well, yeah, and, and between two rivers, I mean, that's that's double trouble, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so we've lived here for almost six years now. And when we first moved in, it was just my husband and I at that point. Um, I had a couple of strange. Uh, it's kind of that between a dream and between a wake where. You might be, you might see a picture in your mind and it's kind of hyper real. It's almost like, is it a vision? Is it a visitation? Is right. it actually a dream? I don't know. But um, had this experience where I was lying in bed with my eyes closed and still awake. And um, I became aware of this figure, which I could not describe to you, but um, it was, I guess, maybe some kind of guardian. But they said to me, (laughs) they basically said to me, okay, I'm going to show you this now. And this man turned around and he was like um, a First Nations man and basically like very, very ancient kind of vibe. Um, turned around and his face was like the face of someone that had lived for 40,000 years. Mm. So his body looked youthful, but his face was like ancient to the point where I screamed because I was so shocked. And he laughed. He laughed at me um, for shrieking. And then that was it. And uh, I have I thought that was very strange, obviously. But um, Guildford, uh, one of the um, rivers, has a sacred site there um, for the Noongar people from this area. So Noongar is like the name of um, the the biggest tribe um, of Indigenous people that live around the Perth area. Okay. So um, yeah, so I don't know if that is relevant as well. Um, but it just felt like um, uh, some kind of ancestral spirit for some reason. It just, it was just bizarre. Um, and another time I was kind of lying in bed and woke up and there was this this strange face looking at me and I um, shrieked and I thought, oh, it's some kind of like hypnagogic thing. But my husband, he woke up, he thinks, he reckons he woke up before I, I called out and he said he actually saw something over me, but it was just like a, excuse me, a very basic white shape. Huh. Like he thought it was a pillowcase. Oh. Um. Yeah. So we both saw oh. something, but what he saw was very, yeah, nondescript. And I saw something that was more formed. It was kind of like a, almost like a lion type um face it was very strange 
So those are kind of some of the earlier experiences. Do you want me to start uh, talking about what's been happening recently? Yes, yeah, definitely. Mm. Okay, I've been taking notes though, so I I have a few thoughts here and there. But um, do you do you want to do you want to say stuff now, Josh? I mean, we we we, we can, I suppose. Um, yeah, why don't you address that? Well, I guess a good sort of leaping off point for where I am in my <clears throat> journey right now. Um, is that I've the farther I get into this, the harder I have really drawing distinctions between ancestral spirits and spirits of things that never lived and fairies and poltergeists. I mean, it's just all, I mean, you can find examples of these things being mixed up in general, you know, especially like fairies and poltergeists. That's, it was at one point commonplace to, to sort of blame poltergeists on, on fairies as much as it was on spirits. Um, although you can even say that fairies are spirits, but that's neither here nor there. But I've, I've gotten to the point where I think that uh, there is just this sort of um, energy that, that breaks through from the other side. And if whether or not that was composed of people who lived or things that we would call elemental spirits, or I, I just think that all these things tend to mix up on that other side and sort of come, come over here and visit us. So whenever I ascribe something or compare something to something like, you know, fairy folklore, I'm not necessarily saying it is that, but it certainly has sort of the hallmarks of that. Um, you know, your childhood experience in the garden, you said that your mother basically looked up from doing mm. dishes and she saw you outside, right? That's right. Okay, so I, there, there are a couple of stories that you can find here and there where, you know, uh, in, the, in the midst of a child abduction, a fairy has, you know, taken a young boy or a young girl and drops them at some point, um, either accidentally mm -hmm. or sometimes because, you know, the, the parent, the, the abduction comes to the parent's attention. So the fact that she looked up and saw you out there kind of makes me wonder if, if you weren't dropped because I mean, how far of a height would you have fallen if you'd fallen? I mean, would, would you have expected to be more injured than you were or. So I've apparently it was a story. It was a two storied house. And um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, babies have pretty soft bones, but, That's true. That but I don't know. That's Quite a far, far way to fall. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to drop a baby from a story. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But, but you do hear stories about, you know, we're using the word story too much. You do hear, you do hear, do hear anecdotes um, mm. about about children who are really young who just, you know, bounce back unscathed. And, and you know, even with my own kids, like you see them mm. get into situations. And you're like, are you sure you're okay? And you look at them and they're acting fine. You're like, I guess, I guess you are okay. So mm. that's interesting, though. Um, About your UFO sighting that you had, um, mm -hmm. was it a structured craft or was it a a light in the sky or what was it? So I was walking down a busy street at night. So it was quite well lit and that hindered a little bit of what I could see. It was pretty low. So I could see, I saw it coming towards me and at first I thought it was a helicopter and um, it was these two oval orange lights very close together. And then I realized that I couldn't hear anything. Um, I stopped and I'm watching it. And as it flew over the top of me and over this busy street, I could see under it and I could see that it had um, three circular lights in a triangle and a larger circular light in the middle. And they were pulsing really quickly. And um, But I didn't see any actual metal. So that's kind of an interesting thing. But it was really because it was low and the streetlights were so bright. 
And then as it moved away, I saw this trail of silver sparkles coming out the back of it, like almost kind of like um, sparklers, like um, fireworks. It was wow. bizarre. Mm. Well, you know, that's interesting that you compared it to uh, a uh, a helicopter because I, I've heard of a – there was a Min Min light sighting in uh, Cloncurry uh, about four hours north of Boulia. Um, of course, obviously, a, a suburban setting or urban setting is not exactly where you expect to see the Min Min lights. But in this instance, um, that's the way that they described their sighting as well at first is that they were convinced that it was a helicopter. And then they noticed, like you did, uh, that, mm. that there was no light at the same time. Um, so it's interesting, you know, from the same part of the world, you have sort of this anomalous light phenomena described in, in similar ways. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so but but prior to that, you'd sort of been kind of shrugging off a lot of these little nudges that you've you've been getting from different things? I don't know if um, I completely shrugged them off at that point because there were a few times where I'd had experiences and then someone else confirmed for me independently later on. So that um, made me – that gave me pause. But I I don't know. There was something about this UFO sighting that cemented that I I can – take these things seriously and um there's something going on here it's right. not all internal or i mean we could go very philosophical with that is it internal I mean, yeah every because yeah. in my mind i i believe that every single person has a reality that is valid but i don't think we have one universal reality i think every reality exists and overlaps and interacts um, beautifully and strangely, but they're different realities. I mean, yeah, I think when you start playing that internal external game, you sort of fall into this established physicalist paradigm trap of those being as separate as we have been led to believe. And I think there's a lot more room in the middle where these things sort of overlap. I I would probably use Mm. the word, I would probably use the word objective. I mean, even that's sort of a lacking, a lacking word, but, um, yeah, but, you know, the way that I've come to think of UFOs nowadays is I, I kind of almost halfway wonder if this wasn't um, whatever the intelligence is behind this stuff. Interestingly enough, I'm hearing a helicopter flying over my house right now. Um, <laughs> um, I kind of halfway wonder if this wasn't the moment where it was like, no, pay attention. Hey, pay attention. You know, I kind of wonder if this mm. wasn't the phenomenon saying, you know, OK, we're going to give you something that, that you can't uh, dismiss. So that's. But all, all that's super, super fascinating. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I've just got a list of things because I've, I've been trying to – I've been listening intently. Um, so okay. the, four, the four-leaf clover thing, um, I'm not entirely sure about this, uh, but I do think that the association between four-leaf clovers and the fae folk um, does stretch back farther than, you know, the, the sort of pop culture wing depiction because that's the thing that, you know – when you, if you talk to somebody who's into fairies, they're like, okay, well, you know, it's, they didn't, you know, they traditionally didn't have wings, and you sort of talk about how that's an invention of, you know, that's only a couple hundred years old. But there are some things that have made their way to the to the modern uh, pop culture depiction of fairies that actually do have sort of ancient roots. And um, I know that wands are among those. I'm not entirely sure about four leaf clovers, but I do think that they are older in association with the fae folk. So that's interesting too because. I mean, for me, I look for four-leaf clover all the time, and I never find them. I haven't found them since I was a kid. Yeah, that's right. And that was – it felt so strange because I never – I've never found them. And we have wild clover growing, you know, in in suburban Australia. So 
um, it's definitely something that as a child you hear about it and I was looking, I've definitely looked for it. And so, and it was very clear and it, it was probably the first time in my life that I became aware that I would sometimes get these impressions mm-hmm. or this, um, I call it an impression because it was like a, a voice sharing information in my head, but I'm not, I'm not always hearing hearing sound right. it's like an awareness like you notice it kind of thing like like and something so, put the, like something put the knowledge in your head yes but you notice that it's not your own knowledge yeah it's yep. almost like there's been a couple of times where i've had an experience and i i i can say that i was channeling something and it's like mm. i'm it's almost like something is being poured through my body like a like something is traveling through my body and I'm still in there, but mm. there's also this other stuff traveling through me, and it feels very like almost like water being poured poured into a vessel. That's how I perceive it. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of like, oh, okay. And then I, you know, I went over to this pot plant, and it was there. I mean, that's just right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't care if it was, you know, something even more mundane than a four leaf clover. The fact that you mm-hmm. were were pointed in that direction and knew that you would find it there is. Is remarkable in and of itself. I, yeah. I don't know what to make of this wooden ring because it's tickling mm-hmm. something in the back of my head and I can't put my finger on it and it's going to bug me. And it's probably become a little minor project that I look for <laughs> as I go through stuff. Okay. But, um, you know, yes. I mean, the, the, the circles are just sort of laden with symbolism as well. I would love to know what kind of wood it is, but I, I doubt that you sort of know that yourself. Um, I, I, I couldn't say for certain because because it was already and it looked cut, you know, it was a slice. And then right. the outside edges were um were rough bark, you know, the the coarse bark of that tree, but the inside was pretty smooth as well. Um but we had a very large cherry blossom tree, which I used to sit in a lot, and I'm wondering if it was from that tree, mm. but I'm not certain. We did have a chestnut tree in the front garden and a mm. a really big Japanese tree um, that had massive leaves, and the only other, other time I've seen that tree is in um, the botanical gardens in Melbourne, and that's how I've discovered it was some kind of Japanese tree. But the the leaves are like the size of a you know like a piece of um, photocopy paper. They were really big, and um, but yeah, I I couldn't tell you for sure. Yeah, well, it it sounds um it sounds beautiful. I I, I assume that you, you don't have it anywhere or anything. You just probably got no. misplaced, or or even if you even thought to pick it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have it anymore, sadly. Yeah. Um, well, we kind of talked about the Min Min Light stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I've been quite fascinated by that. I, uh, Soraya, have you seen that? Or maybe you have two. I'm sorry about that. Maybe you have two, Louise. Um, mm. This documentary, uh, Australian Skies. No. It's Australia, A-L-I-E-N. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's got some pretty good, it's a pretty good overview of, of some of the Min Min Light stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's really fascinating. You you listen to some of those indigenous stories about how um, there's at least a loose belief that the uh, number of men men lights they, they were always seen. Sometimes they were positive, and sometimes they were negative. By the way, don't let me like Australia explain to you, Louise. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of sort of well, doing I'm this for the audience's <laughs> benefit as well. But um, that's fine. I'm from New Zealand, so okay, okay. go for it. <laughs> um, but there there was an indication that um or suggestion that they increased in frequency when the the settlers arrived. Hmm. Um, and I you know, I'm, 
surprised. Well, and you know, I'm sure that some of them, just like a lot of these ghost lights today, I'm sure that some of them are indeed those, you know, old, tired, skeptical dismissals of, you know, refracting car lights and, you know, headlights and campfires and such. But a lot of them, like your husband's you know, description, I mean, that you can't explain that away with headlights or anything, especially, no. you know, it becomes a little bit more unsettling with the missing time <laughs> implications. Um, but yeah, but yeah you, you hear these stories about, you know, them sort of descending into the back and just sort of keeping pace with your car and, and you know, you go fast, mm-hmm. you go fast, you slow down, they slow down sort of thing. Um, but the fact That's that it, right. it would wink out whenever stopped it's just its own its own level of of disconcerting yeah um, yeah it's something definitely interacting with them so the uh the vision of the uh the first nations gentleman with the sort of you know wrinkled face i mean that's something that you see it i don't necessarily hear it in any of the sort of australian uh fairy analogs which in general are admittedly a little bit harder to pin down they don't quite appear as recognizably as, you know, some of those sort of comparable fairy-ish figures in other parts of the world. But even even among those, I don't hear that description of that wrinkled face. But that wrinkled face is something that you hear all the time um, from, mm-hmm. like, you know, the fairy stories in, in Western Europe and whatnot. Um, you know, even some indigenous American accounts, there's, you know, references to them being extremely old. But, you know, these sort of, the sort of faces, I know some witnesses have compared them to the the bog men, you know, the peat, the peat, uh, the bodies that were buried in, in peat, they've sort of were preserved. They found in places like the Netherlands. Um, but, um, also on the, on the, the, the Nunga site, uh, that's near you. I, I think that there probably is something to that. Um, you know, John Keel came up with this window area idea, which is, you know, it's what it straddles the line between interesting and problematic in terms of, you know, paranormal phenomena haunting these indigenous, uh, archeological sites. It's, Interesting on the one hand, because um, I do think that there's a pattern there, but it always gets sort of weird trying to pin that down when you're in sort of this post-colonial nation, when you're like, well, the, the entire countryside is probably littered with you know, yeah. graves, as grim as that is to think about. No, it's true. Uh, but it's, it's very true. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of effort in, you know, the UK and in uh, the Americas to sort of try to find window areas and pinpoint them and tie them to certain archaeological sites. I am not aware of a similar effort that's been put forth in Australia. Um, I know Keith Basterfield sort of talked about this a little bit in his UFO research, but uh, I've, I've seen enough sort of examples that make me go, okay, there's probably something to that as well, that some of these, um, you know, again, sometimes they're earthworks. Every every culture <laughs> seemed to, seem yes. to love those earthworks. Um, sometimes these earthworks and, and, you know, sort of sepulchral sites seem to indeed attract all sorts of phenomena that we would call paranormal, including, you know, UFO sightings to this day. So I think that brings me up to speed. All right. <laughs> I don't know what to do with your pillowcase ghost. Um, <laughs> I, 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 um, you know, other than it sounds like, it sounds like, a, you know, from your husband's perspective, it sounds like a traditional ghost clad in a, <laughs> in a, uh, in a Sheet. death shroud or something. Yeah. yeah. I, a fun fact. Um, I learned that, and I'm not, I haven't fact checked this. So if anybody, I'm sure somebody in the comments will correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, Apparently, like the term "boo" comes from it's a Latin cognate of alarm. So basically, <laughs> when you see ghosts at Halloween going "boo," they're basically saying "I alarm." And <laughs> so I alarm, I alarm. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Other than the fact that I will say that 
Um, it's an extremely underreported aspect of these phenomena and survival vouch for me on this, um, where people both see something strange, but what they see that is strange is, is surprisingly different. Yeah. Yeah. You hear that a ton. Um, and you know, a lot of, a lot of paranormal researchers don't like to acknowledge that because they think it sort of invalidates the objective nature of what these people are seeing. But I think, you know, I think it's a, it's a detail that could be, you know, as important as anything else to figuring out what these things are, you know. Well, for me, when he told me that he also saw something, that made it more real because I thought, oh, it's a hypnagogic vision. It's a hallucination because it was such a weird. So what it really looked like was um, those kind of, um, you know, in Chinese New Year, the, the dragons. Oh yeah. Like, have you seen the dragon puppets that they that they yeah, use? Yeah, the, the the big ones, right? The the big. Yes, it kind okay, of yeah. had a it kind of had a face like that. Mm. So it was sort of like this lion dog that sort of had that kind of look to it, and so it frightened me. But I instantly was like, oh, it's like a hypno hypnopompic thing. And then my husband said, oh, that's weird because I saw this white shape um, next to you. And I don't think he saw it like it was a draped sheet or something. I think it was more like a very vague white kind of rectangle type shape. And so for me, I was like, okay, well, something was happening there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, the important takeaway. And as far as like, you know, answers for what that was, um, you know, again, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really have answers for what any of this stuff is objectively, but uh, you might <clears throat> get a little bit more mileage out of someone who has uh, an experience with, you know, uh, goetic spirits or something. Cause it kind of sounds a little bit more like that in terms of depiction, you know, mm-hmm. hmm. sorry, that's all I was, <laughs> just took all these notes. <laughs> I want to make sure we got through them. Um, so yeah. Okay. So let's, okay. let's, let's talk about the, the more recent stuff over the last few months. Okay. Um, another thing that I just remembered was behind where we live, there's been a big, um, big building going on construction. So disturbed earth was another element that, um, I think is relevant. So we had, oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought I dropped out. So gosh, we had our daughter about four years ago now. And, um, her bedroom has a very large window that looks out onto our neighbor's chicken coop, which is mostly uh, very large fruit trees, very established old fruit trees. There's a beautiful big mulberry tree that's got to be about three metres tall. It's gigantic. Um, And since she could speak, she would talk about how she didn't like being in her room. It was a man in her room. And he would sit in the chair in her bedroom. And I... (laughs) And I had sometimes felt a bit weird in her room. And so I wasn't sure if I was being oversensitive and kind of playing into what she was saying or if there was something weird going on with the energy in that space. Um, I may, I would say I probably did um, burn some herbs in there as like a cleansing because it is something I do in the house from time to time. And, um, you know, apart from that, my husband and I just played it off as, you know, child imagination and fear um, that's going to happen from time to time. I mean, it's it's hard when they're that small to ascertain what is a real experience 
and what is, you know, a dream. They don't have, you know, they're not able to verbalise very much. So anyway, she would talk about this man being in her room sometimes. And um, apart from that, not much, but she de- she would have, um, from time to time, she would get night terrors. And uh, I don't know if either of you are familiar with that, but um, a night terror is basically when um, the child will have something like a nightmare and they seem awake, but they are still unconscious and they are screaming like they are terrified. It's very upsetting. Um, it can go from five minutes to 20 minutes and they won't have a memory of it the following day. It's really hard. Um, yes. And so that started happening from when she was, gosh, certainly less than a year old. Didn't happen all the time, but it would happen here and there. Um, okay. So Yeah, that's, that's just horrible to have to deal with and on every oh, level. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's really hard, especially when they're so small. Um, yeah. And you can see that they are terrified and you can't reach them when they're in that state, you know. Um, yeah, when it first happened, I mean, we didn't know what was going on. Um, thankfully, it doesn't happen anymore, touch wood. Um, <laughs> so I'm just trying to remember because it's been over a few years now. Um, that's right. So out her window, we had this morning glory vine growing along the fence and morning glory vine. If, especially if you cut it back, it just grows back um, four times as fast and it's it can get out of control really quickly. And so she started talking about this plant man, this tree man, sorry, and we thought, oh, okay, maybe she's having like a pareidolia issue with the vine outside because it was getting quite tall um, growing on the side of the fence and vaguely looked like a head shape. So my husband cut it back. And we thought, okay, that's it. It's everything's fine. Um, but she would continue to uh, wake up at night and come into our room. And it got to the point where during the day she wouldn't go in her bedroom by herself um, for any reason. Um, we would have to go with her. She didn't even like going into the bathroom, which was um, she, she'd have to walk down the corridor past her room to get to the bathroom. She just didn't want to be in there at all. Um, And my husband and I, we were getting pretty tired because she would wake up literally every night screaming and come into our room and sleep in our bed. And we had actually bought a double bed for her room because our plan was, okay, if she's coming in, we can't deal with the broken sleep. So one of us can then go sleep in her bed. Right. Now, something that my husband and I hadn't actually admitted to each other is we didn't like sleeping in that bed. We didn't like <laughs> being in that room. <laughs> and so we hadn't really verbalized it. So um, he would ha- he would have bad experiences if he slept in that bed and I would have bad experiences if I slept in that bed. I don't know why we didn't talk about this. Um, and so this went on for a few months. And then it got to the point where my husband went and slept in there one night. And the following morning, uh, I was out in the kitchen and he came out and he said, I had the worst night's sleep. He said, all night I felt like something was trying to rip the blankets off me. And he could feel what felt like hands on his body pulling at his shirt. And I said, oh, you're right. I said, 
the other week, you know, because we get to the point where we're so desperate for sleep, we'll sleep in there. Um, I said the other week, I went when I went and slept in her bed, I had this dream that I was being attacked by this hag-like entity. She was like that old crone, you know, kind of looking very white attacking me and I destroyed her with a, a beam of white light and she disintegrated. And um, and then we both said, yeah. He said every time he has slept in there, he's had that experience of something pulling on him. I said, okay, well, I'm scared to be in that room at night. He said, me too. And I'm like, well, there's obviously something wrong with this room. We have to sort it out. <laughs> So that was kind of when we realised this isn't just toddler separation anxiety. Yeah. There's something something else happening. Yeah. Now, at the same time, not exactly at the same time, because this had been happening over a couple of years and it had just gotten worse as time went on. Last October, I okay, I'll go a bit further back than this because this is this is relevant. A couple of years ago, I had this kind of out-of-body experience where I was in spirit form and I was flying around with this goddess-type female-looking deity. Um, and I, I deduced that she was probably a deity because of what was happening in, the, in this experience. So she was flying around um, like a, a rural property, like a farm, and this man had put out a plate of biscuits for her, like sweet biscuits, cookies. And she was hovering over them and thanking him for this offering. And she was blessing these animals. And then we were in another scenario where um, she was taking a dog off a couple. And so the dog had died, but she was taking the dog. And she was really excited about um, having this relationship with this dog. And I remember the people being sad, but they couldn't see that their dog had actually gone to be with this woman who really loved their dog. And it was like the dog hadn't died. It was just moving on to this other part of its existence, basically. And there was a lot more to this this dream, which I, um, I talk about with Sarai in the earlier episode. Anyway, I woke up from that and I looked up goddesses and dogs and all these other things, agriculture, and I came up with Diana. And then I read about how maybe Hecate is a like she was Diana or they're the same thing or so yeah. anyway, I'm gets, not sure it if it was Diana. Yeah, a bit fuzzy, yeah, but if, um if memory serves, um Diana was combined with uh Hecate and uh, I believe Luna uh, into this mm-hmm. de- this trifaced or three tripartite deity named Trivia. Yeah, so there's there's a connection there. Mythology gets real messy real quick. <laughs> yes. So that was a really interesting thing. So I felt this connection to this deity um, because I didn't know any of that stuff before I had that dream. To me, it wasn't a dream. It was because right. I wasn't. I've had one other experience like that where um I was out of body and I was flying around people and it just it didn't look like a dream so there's a different differentiation there for me uh so anyway last October I decided I'll do a little offering in the new moon as kind of an acknowledgement and giving thanks to Hecate and kind of do like a little um manifestation spell not thinking too much about it 
And also that October of last year, I forgot to look it up, but it was some celestial event that happened in conjunction with this new moon that made it more of a powerful event. I just can't remember what it was. Also take into consideration that I'm on a crossroads, so it's <laughs> it's kind of a charged area. And I sat down to do simple ritual and um, I think I read a poem and the candle started crackling. It must have been about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. It was actually quite late. And it popped. It popped twice. And the second time it popped, I felt this presence enter the space. And it was such a powerful, scary feeling. It was like darkness falling, if that makes sense. It was like this something fell over the air in that room. And I felt the presence of Hecate. And it was, and it felt very dark, but it didn't feel evil, which I thought was very interesting. And so I almost freaked out and I thought, no, this is okay. This is just how she feels and you're you're safe. So I finished doing this ritual and um, that feeling went away. And then the following night, my husband was in the bathroom and he looked out the window and he saw this orb of light traveling downwards from the sky. Now, I just need to explain that outside of the property and our neighbours, they have a really long property. So their house is at the front and then they have a really long backyard and a large shed and then the chicken coop. So our bathroom window looks onto their shed, which is really tall. It's um, You could fit cars in there. It's really big. And then this chicken coop. So there's no physical way for a person to be there um, unless they would be on our property and we would hear someone um, walking there because it's, um, it's brick. So he sees this ball of light traveling downwards um, from above. So assuming the sky, but higher up in the air. And he said that he felt like this ball of light became aware that he was watching it and then it just went pew and it just flew out of his line of sight along the side of the house and it was gone. Mm. Um, and it again, no sound. So I feel like if it was a drone, he would have heard it. It right. wasn't like a rainy night or anything like that. The night after that, um, we were in bed and he was asleep and um, I was still awake and my eyes weren't closed or anything. And I heard singing and uh, it was the weirdest thing. It was in our room and it was just disembodied singing of a feminine voice. Um, it was tonal. There weren't any words. It was more like a la-la-la kind of um, like melody type song. And I'm lying there like, what the hell is going on? It went on for about 30 seconds. So it went on for a while. And it was the most beautiful sounding singing, um, but it, it did freak me out. And so it stopped and I was too scared to get up and check on my daughter because I thought maybe it was her, but it was actually in our bedroom. Like I felt like it was above me and um, it, yeah, I don't think it could have been her because it didn't sound like a toddler. It sounded right. like an adult woman. And then it came back a second time, but it was a little bit quieter and it didn't go for as long it was just kind of like 10 seconds, like it was just floating there and then um, and then it stopped. So that was a couple of weird things that happened. Would you like me to keep going? Or I'm sure Josh has some comments. Uh, just, I mean, just a few thoughts. Um, <clears throat> so uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the whole morning glory uh, vine because mm. um, 
Morning Glory seeds, as I understand, are psychoactive. Um, oh, and yes. you know, th- there is there. I'm, I'm not saying that your daughter was <laughs> dosing in the middle of the night or anything, um, <laughs> or that you were getting a proximity high from Morning Glory. But it's interesting when you look at sort of the the, the culture that's sort of f- subculture that focuses around entheogens. They often talk about sort of the plants having their own intelligence. You know, yeah. a lot of these a lot of these psychedelic plants have their own sort of spirit attached to them so the fact that she would see you know i believe a, that a, pl- a plant person kind of make, puts me in the mindset that i don't know maybe it was the the spirit of the morning glory <laughs> that was you know popping along yeah um, the only uh, thing i wouldn't i mm-hmm. wouldn't agree with that is that i believe it's a specific type of morning glory that is psychoactive it's the kind that has a white flower and this is a purple flower. Ah, um, okay. Just, just as an aside. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I don't think I knew that, so I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and, and if you if you keep on looking into dogs and in you know obviously dogs and Hecate, but just yeah. dogs in general as a symbol, it's it's sort of its own rabbit hole in and of itself. Um, you know, there are all these different cultures that have these characters that are are psychopomps that sort of lead you across. Predominantly the, the threshold of life into death, but just I would argue sort of thresholds more generally. And um, all, sometimes they're sometimes they're folk figures, sometimes they're deities, sometimes they're natural phenomena, sometimes they're animals. And time and again across all sorts of different cultures. I mean, I I would say it's almost universal. Um, you find horses, birds, and dogs as these figures. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, if if memory serves, there was I think there was quite a bit of dog sacrifice um, in the name of Hecate. Um, and, you know, Hecate isn't necessarily a death deity herself, but she is sort of phonic in the idea that she has these associations with the underworld. So that yeah. idea of, you know, being dark but not evil kind of fits that as well. Mm. Um, so the light from the sky was was the same night as the as your as your ritual to Hecate, right? It was the following night. The following night. OK. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd hesitate to say that's coincidence. Um, yeah. Does Does your husband have any childhood experiences? Um, Not or do you, really. Or do you think you're Or do you think you're rubbing off on him? I guess would be the question. Look, his mum was very sensitive, and she had quite a few weird experiences herself. Um, and when she passed, we both saw her. Um, so that's you know, I don't know. He doesn't really think he's had that much happen, um, okay. certainly in his childhood or anything like that. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, 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 it does, you know, it does sort of make you wonder if you sort of uh, dug a little bit deeper or, or you maybe got him a little bit more suggestible how many, how many things he might remember that he dismissed at one point. Um, Absolutely. He's definitely felt presences um, and he's, open-minded about things but um yeah he hasn't i mean i've had a lot i've had a lot of experiences so he compared to to him he hasn't had that much happening so he probably doesn't think he is that much of a conduit but right i mean you know the, um, the, so one of the reasons why i reached out to sarai was because i could I, because these two things were happening at the same time, I really wasn't sure. Is this Hecate? Is this Faye? Is this just, you know, is this something else? Because um, there is a couple of more things that happened. But um, I just thought the timing was so interesting that I did that ritual. And then he saw that ball of light. Yeah. And then the, 
And then I had the heard that singing, which I've mm-hmm. never I've had some clear audience type experiences before, but this was this was very very unusual. Well, you know, with that sort of um, syncretization, sort of combining between Hecate and, and Diana. You, you do sort of have a little bit of a, uh, a foot in the door to sort of a fairy connection because Diana sort of becomes, through different folklores, um, recognized as sort of a queen of the fairy. You know, it depends. But, like, there's there's definitely an association there. Um, you know, there's uh, there's also some older, you know, pagan uh, deities like Habundia that also sort of combine elements of Hecate and, and, and Diana as well in that sort of fairy queen sort of role. I mean, this, this is sort of what I was trying to get at when I sort of had that awkward preamble when we first started talking about how it gets, it's, it's gotten hard for me to differentiate these between these things because yeah. obviously like Hecate is not a fairy queen. You can't say that, but mm-hmm. there's so much mixing and matching that uh, it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a, a, a lot of leaps to get to that sort of, you know, connection there. Um, uh, the singing I think is, is super interesting as well. I mean, throughout all these mm-hmm. different contact modalities, from the fairy lore to the UFO stuff to the near death experiences to um, you know psychedelic trips, uh, you see this this theme coming around time and again of of this sort of music or yeah. singing that is just indescribably beautiful or elegant. And you said it was you know incredibly beautiful. Would you go so far as to describe? But but what's interesting though is that you said it was tonal. So I, I assume that it wasn't like. Because sometimes you get these descriptions that say that the music was not uh, adhering to any sort of Western tonality. I don't know how musically inclined you are, but it it's, it seems to use different scales and different modes that we just don't really have any any comparable analog for. So, I mean, if if you t- to the degree that you can, um, would you have described this as like indescribably beautiful, or would you say that it's sort of you can imagine somebody being able to transcribe it and play it back, or does it seem like it would be beyond that sort of a, an attempt? I don't think it was beyond um, a translation. It was fairly simple, and it was a woman singing. She was just c- kind of going, la, la, la. You know, she wasn't saying actual mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. And I think I actually had the I had it in my mind for a little bit, and then I lost it, Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's, that, sounds um, pretty, that sounds pretty typical. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't some kind of body of sound, you know, that was like vibrating or anything like that. It was it was right. just like someone with a beautiful voice um, singing. Yeah, that's still interesting, though. I mean, because, you know, you do get reports um, from time to time of, of entities sort of speaking in a sort of lilting sing song. Oh, yeah. Sprechstimme kind of way as well. Yeah. All right, let's take a very quick break, and we'll be right back. Mid-show break here, and I'm going to give you uh, a recommendation of something to check out, a few things to check out, some contact info, and uh, some news on what's upcoming at some point. So I'm going to start with the recommendation, and uh, this came from uh, my friend Matt Festa, who, uh, knowing I'm a big wrestling fan, suggested I check out this podcast called Behind the Bastards. Now, this is not a wrestling podcast. Uh, this is a podcast, uh, I think two of the guys used to work for Cracked, and uh, I don't know, they're all funny. Uh, but it, it covers people in history from Stalin to, um, to like uh, John McAfee to Alfred Hitchcock, 
and most recently Mark Zuckerberg, and most recently um, Vince McMahon. So all I've listened to are the five, I'm going into part six, of the Vince McMahon stuff, and I think this is one of the longest uh, part ones they've done. Uh, they literally call him history's greatest monster. It is, uh, it's hilarious and disturbing all at the same time, but the, the podcast itself is great. And even if you're not interested in the Vince McMahon stuff, you might find some of the other stuff interesting. I know I'm going to go back and check out some of their other stuff when I finish this because uh, I'm really enjoying it. And it's making me laugh a lot and I'm learning things. Uh, wrestling history to me is very interesting, even when what was going on on television, which much of the WWF I've never cared for, um, the stuff going on behind the scenes I've always found fascinating. And that's what they're getting into. And it's... Uh, it's interesting, and like I said, it's funny as well. They have a great sense of humor about the stuff, and uh, so my, my, my thanks to Matt for that one. Uh, also, Matt is uh, doing the artwork for my autobiography. He is a phenomenal artist, and you can check out his stuff at Tiamat's Garden. And uh, yeah, he's just phenomenal, and the, so far what he has for the book cover is, is awesome. And uh, there's still no title. He's not happy that I'm not giving him a title because I, I don't know what it's called yet. It's going to have to name itself at some point. But uh, I've, for anyone who I think I may have only announced this to patrons at this point. So the autobiography, which I've been working on forever, and I had been working on it and had a restart thanks to Mike Cleland, which also thanks to Mike Cleland, it's going to be a much better book. Um, it's, it's hopefully going to be out this year. Hopefully. I mean, ideally, I'd love to have it out by October, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But hopefully by the end of the year, beginning of next year, the first part of my autobiography will be out. And it's not just the paranormal stuff. It's all the stuff in my life. Um, I mean, not everything. It, it, I'm trying to leave the boring stuff out, but just all the unusual stuff that's happened to me on all levels from music to, uh, to the paranormal and all that, because it all kind of ties together in really weird ways. And that's one of the things that Mike uh, woke me up to. So I realized that I, the reason I was told initially to keep these notes like I was is so I could do this and, and give you a, a grander overview that these paranormal events don't happen in a vacuum. There's, there's a lot of things that just all interconnect in weird ways. So hopefully it'll be interesting. Uh, the first volume is only going to go up to the end of 1995. And uh, the reason for that is the word count is outrageous at this point for what I was expecting and I still haven't filled it out completely. So it's, it's going to be a decent length. And then there'll be either one or two more volumes after that, assuming anyone cares and buys it. So, um, yeah, it's also been very interesting self-reflection as well. I definitely recommend keeping notes about things going on in your life, dreams and weird stuff and even normal stuff. There'll be stuff that you're, you're glad you wrote down later. And there's stuff you're going to cringe at. But, I mean, that's, that's part of growth. If there's nothing you're cringing at, you may not have grown very much. All right. So, yes, my thank to, thanks to Matt for helping me with this, for the artwork. And, again, check out his stuff at Tiamat's Garden. Uh, he also sometimes co-hosts, uh, jumps in as a co-host on The Last Exit for the Lost, my music show. So if you like heavy music and you want to hear something different, because I play a lot of stuff you're not going to hear otherwise, or not be brought, have brought into your awareness otherwise. A lot of independent stuff, a lot of obscure stuff that's really good and shouldn't have been uh, missed maybe the first time. That's thelastexit.org. And uh, there's a bunch of shows up going all the way back to 96, actually, that you can stream anytime. Uh, the newest stuff is on Mixcloud, so you can subscribe there. 
Uh, we have live band performances and cool stuff like that. And uh, yeah, Matt's one of the co-hosts. Uh, one of the other co-hosts I'm going to give a shout out to is Katie of the Night. Uh, they both come on remotely, and uh, Katie has a cool YouTube channel called Katie of the Night, where she once listed Where Did the Road Go as her favorite podcast, and uh, and we connected and been friends ever since. All right, uh, contact for the show. Uh, if you have a story you want to share, uh, want us to read on a listener's story show, you just want to relay it and get my thoughts on it, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Uh, contact at wheredidtheroadgo.com for all basic queries and things like that. There's a little chat bot that'll pop, pop up. Uh, when you go to the website and, uh, that does go directly to me. That is not AI generated whatsoever. Um, you can mail me stuff. You want to physically mail me stuff. It's PO box 444 Ovid, New York, 14521. And I want to give an extra special shout out to Ann Witowski, uh, for a very generous donation to the show this week. All right. As for other things coming up, there's a bunch of video stuff I'm going to be posting. Um, some of it's only going to be for patrons. Some of it's going to be public. I did put up the Fort Fest appearances from uh, 20, I want to say 2016, of myself, Joshua Cutchin, and uh, Mike Hughes. And uh, they, they were for patrons only for a long time. I eventually was going to make them public and totally forgot about them until someone told me the links weren't working. So I, I've made those public. You can check them out on the YouTube channel. The audio is not great. Um, whoever was doing it was, uh, if I remember right, was going to release them uh, with better sound and stuff, and I don't think it ever happened. So that's that's all I got are those. I, I know Rosemary Ellen Guiley was there that weekend. Um, I didn't get to see her talk. Uh, I did get to meet her and talk to her, and she was wonderful, and she was going to come on the show, and then she passed away as these things go. But, uh, so I don't know where all that stuff is, but those three are up. If people want to check them out again, can't do anything about the sound. It was a big room and it was a little echoey. Not my fault. I just had it on a camera with a boom mic that picks up stuff very well, but there is more video stuff coming and, uh, I think people will enjoy it. So make sure you subscribe to the YouTube and I will try and also make notes about it, uh, during the actual podcast as well. So people know to go look. All right. So I think that's it. Let's go back to the show. So you're listening to Where Did the Road Go? And I have Joshua Cutchin and Louise Hamill. And we are uh, talking about Louise's very strange experiences. And uh, for people who didn't hear the first part, go search it on the uh, Where Did the Road Go site because there's a lot more detail in there than what we went over at the beginning here. Uh, but we were talking about, what was the last thing we were talking about? Um, I want to say morning glory, but I think... The uh, singing. The, the, the singing. singing. Oh, yes. the singing. The singing, yes. So that, um, so that happened in October of last year. And at the same time as this is happening, my daughter's having a lot of issues with waking up and coming to our room. And at that exact moment, um, after doing the ritual, my husband and I, we hadn't talked about how we'd had issues ourselves with her room. So it was a few months later when um, my husband had had experience with something grabbing him and pulling on him in the bed. And then I remembered um, being attacked by something in her bed another night. So after that, we talked to my daughter a little bit about what was happening Um just kind of asked her, um, you know, what what do you think's happening in your room? What what do you think it is? And she just said, yeah, I don't like being in my room. Um, there's a tree man and he watches me. And I said, I asked her, what does he look like? And she said, he's made of leaves. Uh, and she didn't really say anything else. 
I said to her, well, you know, we're going to sort it out. It's okay. Um, things like this um, happen sometimes. And I'm, you know, I can say that because of my own experiences. Right. And I did not want my daughter to go through something like this and be alone with it because right. I had had that when I was growing up and it's, it can be very scary. And, um, you know, there are things you can do to neutralize um, spaces and situations like this. So um, I said, we're going to go to the crystal shop and it's, it's more than a crystal shop. It's like a herbalist and um, you can buy books on witchcraft. Right. I right. said, we'll go to the crystal shop and we can get some things and we can tell whatever it is that it has to go. So we went to this beautiful shop that's just around the corner from us and spoke to the lady there. And um, so we got um, some black obsidian and a bag of herbs with a a sigil in it, like a protection spell and a black candle and a white candle and um, some sage. And so we cleansed her room and we said to whatever it is, you have to go and you can't be here anymore. And we uh, drew some runes outside her window and I read that cloves are good as a protection symbol. So we put some cl- uh, dried cloves on her windowsill and that night she she had a really good sleep. Um The following night, um, I had in our room, I felt like something was in our room. And so, yes, I made a mistake in that I did not cleanse the whole house at that point. And I do have to also explain that we were very sleep deprived by this point because of the waking up. So it was getting a bit, getting a bit stressful. Um, And so, you know, that could play into it as well, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so that night I felt like on my side of the bed that something was there. And our house is a little bit strange in that it's hard to explain, but our bedroom has two doors right next to each other. One goes out into my studio and living area and the other door goes into the bathroom. So um, it's this weird feeling of doorways and entranceways and I've always had a bit of a weird feeling around doorways um, and obviously there's symbolism there. Yeah, uh, yeah. So anyway, I had that feeling and I was lying down in bed and I felt this hand on the side of my head and I started to go into sleep paralysis. And it was like the sleep paralysis started at the top of my head and was traveling down my body and um, it was – it was very scary and I was able to break out of it quite quickly and I just called out to my husband and um, it stopped and then I started praying to um, Archangel Michael. So when I was 16, um, I lived in a very haunted house and I used to um, call on and pray for help from Archangel Michael and I would feel like this weird wave of heat and sometimes I'll get a ringing in one of my ears and I always felt like his presence very strongly. And anyway, when I was doing this, I didn't, it felt completely shut off. And as soon as I started asking for his help, I felt the hand on my head again. And again, I felt the sleep paralysis like traveling from my head down my body, which I've never felt it in that way before. It was very strange. And luckily I was able to break out of it. 
and I called out to my husband and then I think I slept with the light on. Um, and the following day I just saged the whole house and uh, I kind of said, look, sorry, because I was a bit yelly in my daughter's room. I was a bit angry um, and I, I was a bit more polite. And so nothing happened after that for quite some time, but I was very disturbed by that because I'd always felt like I could call on this um, archangel for help and it just, it was like gone. Yeah. And um, some, it really felt like something was blocking it. And I I don't know if that was Hecate saying, no, I'm the one that's helping you. Right. Or if it was something else that was just a bit angry um, and chaotic. Um, but, yeah, it, it pretty much stopped. And then maybe two months later, I made a joke to my husband about it. And that night I had sleep paralysis. And so um, I don't – I was actually a bit nervous to even talk to you guys today. I staged the house before um, mm. because I feel very sens- – it just feels very sensitive if I talk about it. Right. Something can happen. And um, the last thing that happened was – so after that, my – her room feels completely different. So she sleeps in there now. Um, if she wakes up, we can sleep in there with her and it, it does not have that feeling at all. It's um it's fine. It's that one morning. Wow. Um yeah. One morning my husband was sitting with her having breakfast. Oh, this was only like maybe less than two weeks ago because it was when I first started getting sick with this cold. So I was still in bed and um he, out of the corner of his eye, saw me walk past the hallway to go to the bathroom. But then he realized it wasn't me because I was still in bed. And then, again, he saw this figure behind him when he was in the kitchen very briefly. And then he realized that my daughter had taken the spell bag of herbs, the sigil and the crystal out of her room, and she had them on the table. Mm. So he put them back mm. in her room and... Nothing happened after that. But the last thing that happened that made me really feel like there's a fey element was, um, gosh, a month or two after this had kind of been resolved, I had taken my daughter to playgroup and one of the activities they do is they make bread. And so she had made a bread roll and brought it home with her and she didn't want to eat it. And I said to her, well, shall we put it in the compost? We can give it to the fairies. And so we went and we put it in the garden. And when we came back inside, I opened the door and we heard this piercing whistle in our living room. Just went for like two seconds and it was so loud. And my husband was like, did you hear that? And I said, yeah. And later on, I said to him, when you, when you think of the instrument that made that noise, what do you think of? And he said, a wooden flute. I said, yes. That's what I thought as well. And that is kind of what's been happening. Huh. That, that's it, huh? That's sort of it. Yeah, I ju- still, just that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just that. Um, occasionally, I, I think I had sleep paralysis recently, and again, I asked for – this was in my daughter's room, actually, because I went in there to sleep with her. Um, I, was, I, I was asking for Archangel Michael to help, help me. And I got sleep paralysis and I was grinding my, the only thing I could move was my teeth and Mm. I could hear them like, you know, moving around in my mouth. And so it's strange because whatever it is in that moment, it doesn't feel evil, but 
I'm very disturbed by the fact that something is blocking this um, protective being that I have called on in the past and it has been helpful to me and it feels very blocked. I mean, what it makes me think of is that things are changing. Mm. And so like your connection to things is different. So you're, you're, it's something else is trying to assist you. Mm. Uh, That's what I thought as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily blocking it as maybe frequencies have changed in such a way that you're not connecting like you were to that other thing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I have felt more connected to pagan things and I have been thinking about those elements more. Um, but the thing is, is that I don't know if I would call myself pagan. I kind of believe in a lot of different yeah. spiritual beings. And I, you know, I, I believe in at this point, I'm trying to make sense of, I do believe in, um, these archangels and, but I do believe in Hecate as well. So I'm sorry if you've addressed this on your last appearance, but how did, how did you get, uh, drawn to the whole Hecate thing? Oh, it was really because of that that out-of-body experience or that dream where I was mm. flying around with this deity okay. while I was well, observing them do their thing, and I didn't know what, who it was. And so I typed in, you know, a goddess and the things that they were interacting with, and it came up with Diana. And I was reading about how Hecate is connected to Diana. So, excuse me, it's kind of like a gray area, to be honest, but... I, I don't know. I just, it came out of that. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. again, the fact that you are at the crossroads, I mean, that's, that's, mm. um, that's her, that's her natural environment, <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, it's just so interesting. Um, it, it kind of seems like you were, you were called into that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I did feel that way. And I, to be honest, I didn't feel ready. Um, I wasn't prepared for how powerful everything was to feel. I wasn't expecting to feel her presence when I did that ritual. And it felt, you know, when you feel the presence of a invisible being, it's so strong. And, you know, when it's something that's otherworldly, it's big, it's a big feeling. Yeah. yeah it's, it's different than say sensing, a. Uh, a, de a dead relative or something like that. Very, very. Yeah, I have not. Knock on wood, or maybe, maybe not. Maybe I want <laughs> I want this to happen to a degree. Um, I have not experienced this myself, but the people whom I've talked to, um, you know, there are a lot of ways that these things come through, and sometimes you do get the dramatic stuff. Sometimes you do get a a clear voice or something. Um, sounds like you've obviously had some some. Uh, some some dramatic things come through um but mm. it's also yeah a lot of times people who are you know um who are magical practitioners um will say things just like yeah you just you just feel the atmosphere in the room change and that's it's it's obvious you know yeah yeah, yeah. um and when with the sleep paralysis when you said you felt like a hand on your head you were wide awake when that happened right i was because actually i was getting stressed out because i couldn't fall asleep yeah so i was and i was feeling this presence in the room. So I knew something was there that wasn't, I'm not going to say whatever it is is evil because I don't, I mean, that's a really big statement to make, but it just feels very chaotic and very powerful. But I, I don't know if it's something from the garden. It's like attached. That's part of an old tree or, um, or if it's Hecate. Um, yes. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's done anything 
um, malicious in any way. I mean, it's been scary, but it, I mean, scary is, is subjective. Yeah. No one has gotten hurt is sort of. Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, again, sort of the way that I've, I've been thinking nowadays is that I'm not trying to belittle anybody who does get hurt in these experiences, but sometimes that can be a catalyst for, you know, bigger and, and sometimes better things. You know, you talk to, you talk to people who are in, you know, recovery for substance abuse and a lot of them who make it out the other side and, and stick to it, wouldn't trade their rock bottom for, for anything. So, yeah. you know, sometimes there's, you know. Obviously, I I would obviously I would take issue with um, something harming a child, but yes. uh, and obviously yeah. I would I would take issue with something harming you. That's not what I'm saying, but but you know. No, so, but so, the thing yeah. is, is when it was happening, even though it was very scary, I didn't feel like it was coming from a bad place. Yeah, it was almost like going, "Why are you asking for this help from them when I can help you?" Like. I didn't get that message like in my mind, like it's information, but that's kind of what I took away from it as opposed to I'm going to take over you kind of thing and hurt you. It wasn't, it was scary, but it didn't feel like, it did not feel level. That's right. Well, and, and, you know, there's also this, this, you know, sort of the presence of Hecate, I would imagine puts you in touch with the darker, the darker side of things that we oftentimes as a culture tend to ignore. Um, yes. And, you know, when we when we ignore those things, they don't go away. <laughs> and right. I think you know, it's, it's sort of a call to sort of incorporate that into your own life, whatever that might look like. Yeah. I think also because of my earlier experiences as a teenager, when I that I used to get sleep paralysis then and whatever was um, disturbing me at that point was not was not a nice, friendly mm. thing. So having that right. back that background it does make me panic a little bit, I think, well, because well, that was that was not a good good time. Let me ask you this: when you when you've had sleep paralysis before, was it mm. upon waking up, or was it like this where you were still awake, you had just laid down and then entered sleep paralysis? I think more often it. Oh, you mean in the past? Yeah. I uh, have a lot of memories of it happening when I was trying to go to sleep. Mm. Like there was one experience I had, and I think I spoke to you about it, was um, at my parents' old house, this house that was haunted. Um, I was trying to go to sleep and I had this, I was, I could feel, feel something in the air, you know, the presence. And I thought, I remember I could still move at that point and I was all, I think my, and my eyes were open um, and I thought something, I can feel like something's going to get on the bed and I felt this thing jump on the bed and it was small it was like the size of a cat and then I couldn't move and um uh whatever it was climbed on top of me and it was shaking my headboard with its hands like it was Mm. around my shoulders shaking the headboard because I could hear it was like a wrought iron bed head and I could hear it shaking and um when I broke out of it um I turned the lights on and I shook the headbed and it made the same sound. So it wasn't like I was imagining how it might sound. It was making the sound. Yeah. So something was shaking that headboard. And um, I have wondered if that was like an imp or something. Because in my mind, it was like a small kind of goblin-y type thing. Yeah. Um, so that was going – I was trying to go to sleep. But I have had experiences where um, there were a few times where I woke up and something was – um, touching me or um, climbing on my back. Yeah, that seems and to be the more common common thing is that people wake up with sleep paralysis. 
I was about to say, I, I wish that we, as a you know sort of paranormal community, um, would get a little bit better about distinguishing hypnopompia from hypnagogia. Um, what I mean by yeah. that is hypnopompia, meaning going into sleep, and hypnagogia, coming out of sleep. Because I think I have my own suspicions about the, the, per, the possible significance of, of those things. Um, and the, in the few times that I've, I guess I've probably had sleep paralysis type stuff when I'm coming out of sleep, but it's interesting that you had yours going into sleep because you don't hear of that as, as Soraya alluded to, you don't hear of that as often, but I kind of wonder if, you know, again, where I've landed, I feel like I keep on having to preface that because I haven't been on this show that often. Um, but where I've landed recently is that, you know, there's, there's something we might very well be sort of astral traveling every night when we sleep. And if that's the case, um, there might be some significance to the things that you see when you leave your body as opposed to when you come back to your body. True. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, But I, I thought that the, uh, the the incident at the end with the bread and then the flute playing, that felt very positive. Yes, it like sounds it. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think you're aware of this, but I'll, I'll reiterate it for anybody else listening. Um uh, you know, it's it's another one of those things that sounds like it's a pop culture fairy depiction, but it's actually something that you find going really far back. Um, this idea of flute or pipe music happening a lot. I mean, that's part of the reason that we see, you know, the pan pipes sort of idea with pan playing as pipes. But yeah, this uh, I just did while we were talking, I just did a quick little uh, scan through the um, fairy census, which if anybody is not aware of this, it was compiled by... Uh, Dr. Simon Young, and it's a great, it's a great compilation of sort of fairy sightings. Um, I can't remember the exact years, but you can find it if you just type in fairy census. You can find loads of different reports, and in about at least five of those, just if just doing a quick search for the word flute, um, you can find yeah references to that si- that sort of sound even in modern modern sightings today. So it's completely on point, especially on the heels of your daughter saying that she wanted to give this bread to the fairies. I mean that's yeah. So, so I take it the, the the offering was indeed made, right? Yeah, I mean, she didn't want to eat it, and I said to her, "Should we put it in the garden for the fairies?" And <laughs> I actually didn't know that that was a traditional offering for the oh, fairies to give them bread. Yeah. 100%, so yeah, 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 a friend of mine said, "Oh, that's actually a traditional offering." Oh wow! Yeah. So um, yeah, and uh, actually outside her window, um, because it's autumn coming into winter now we get nasturtium plants growing in our garden and this year on her side of the um outside her window it's just full of nasturtiums it's never been like that before and it feels very nice out there so i i I feel like there's been a shift in energy um i'm an idiot what's a nasturtium so it's like a um, the leaves are kind of round and okay. the flowers are like an orange or yellow and they're an edible flower. Oh, so wow. It's nasturtium, okay. I think, with them okay. on the end. They grow nasturtium, okay. Nasturtium. They're an edible flower. And we had them growing on the other side of the house and put a couple along her side, but it's completely filled. Um, so I felt like that was like a nice peace offering or something. Just feels it just has a feeling out there that's very pleasant. It did yeah. not always feel that way. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm sort of proud of you for for doing that because I think that people often overlook their ability to sort of uh, you know sort of tailor their environment to sort of be more positive and be healthier. Yeah. I think that gets overlooked a lot. Um, mm. 
But it, it's yeah, sa- and look. Okay. Sorry, you go. Oh, I was gonna. It sounds like the stuff you've done has been primarily the right stuff to do. I mean, you you've progressed through this. It sounds in a very positive way. Mm, true. I just have to navigate how I feel because I still sometimes feel pretty scared at night um, because I'm I am concerned about sleep paralysis. Right. So there's been a couple of times where I've thought it may happen and I've just kind of said to my body and to the ether, I don't need to have this experience. I don't want to have this experience. I would like to sleep <laughs> and be left alone. Um, no, thank you. And so I I think if I continue to do that, I might be. I might be fine. Yeah. And and I mean, maybe try and uh, connect better to whatever this thing is, whether it be Hecate or something else uh, that's trying to connect with you. I am a little bit, I'm a little bit hesitant to do that because where do I draw the line? You know, like I don't, I'm, and this is why I started to get a bit nervous when I first made this connection was I don't, I wasn't expecting something so tangible, you Mm. know, like a, and so I don't want to be disrespectful if I stop interacting with something and I don't want things to go pear-shaped, you know. Sure, I, sure. So I, I don't know if it's if, – if I – I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, well honest, honestly, it doesn't sound like you have to do much. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, not exactly. like just there, you know. Um, yeah. I, I do think it is also healthy to, to keep some of this stuff at arm's length um, to yeah. a degree. You know, I've, I've – seen too many people and heard about too many people who sort of go all in with this stuff and it it, it has a tends to have a disrupting aspect on people's lives to say that's the true least. absolutely all right because yeah. well, i think we just oh sorry no, go yeah, ahead. i was just gonna say <laughs> i was just gonna say we don't really know what we're doing at the no. end of the day so. nope. <laughs> and maybe they don't either yeah <laughs> and, and maybe that's because it's us you know yeah <laughs> that's, yeah that's the other thing mm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we are out of time, and uh, Louise, you have uh, you have artwork up, right? I do, I do. So I'm an artist. You can go to www.louisehamill.net. You can see my work there, and I'm also on Instagram uh, at Louise underscore Hamill underscore. All right, and Josh, where can people find you? JoshuaCutchen.com, J-O-S-H-U-A-C-U-T-C-H-I-N.com. Um, Ecology of Souls is coming up on a full year out in two months, and uh, Fairy Films just came out a couple of weeks ago, and I just uh, finished a novel like a damn fool. So I've got a lot of stuff uh, in the past and in the present and on the horizon in the future as well. Cool. All right. Well, thank you both. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'd like to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons who helped make this show possible because without you, this show would be much, much less than what it is. And I want to give a special shout out to all of those pledging $10 or more. Illuminati, Greg Ross, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, Bart Ooms, 36 Dingo, Matthew Sproul, Andrew Nichols, Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain. Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Chris, CJ, 
Craig Cicernos, Craig Parmenter, Diane B, MTK, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, J, J Otto Bullet, James Lattimore, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L, Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K, Jack Huntington. Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Russ Rouse, Sam Sharon, Seed Person One, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varosh K., Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunk Works, and Greg Sagastumi. Thank you all so much for your support. All right, there is no uh, specific Patreon segment for this show, uh, but I have some Patreon stuff I'm going to be putting up. And if you want to become a patron, it helps support the show a lot. Uh, and it's only $3 a month, and you get extra stuff all month long. The show's a week early, and uh, extra little special things here and there. And you can do so, you can become a patron uh, at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Just click on the big patron link. And, uh, yeah, like I said, it's only 3 bucks, and you get tons of extra content. All right, that's it for this week. See you next time. You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs>